Welcome to Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Sadai. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect Education Workshop, Taking Your Pills on Schedule, Why It Is So Important in Managing Cancer. Today's program is supported by Pharmacyclics LLC and AbbVie Company and Janssen Biotech um, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs LLC, and I really want to thank them for their support of this program today. We have many of you on the call today. There's over 203 participants on this program today, and you come from all over the United States, from all different regions, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And on today's program, we have international participants from Canada, Philippines, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well, and we're delighted to have all of you on this call today. You are clearly a group of information seekers, um, and we are delighted that you're with us today. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Barbara Given. Dr. Given is University Distinguished Professor, Associate Dean Emeritus, College of Nursing, Michigan State University. And Dr. Given will be addressing definition of adherence for taking your pills on schedule, its important role in managing cancer, barriers to taking your pills, and communicating with the healthcare team about adherence. It's really my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Given. Hello, everybody, and welcome uh, to this very important topic uh, for cancer care. Uh, the I'm going to start with the definition and then talk a little bit about some of the other factors that really relate. Both uh, the uh, FDA, American Medical Association, and actually the American Pharmacists have a definition of adherence, which is following a set of prescribed recommendations for taking medications. And I think we're talking today specifically about pills and taking medications uh, for cancer care. But I think uh, in cancer, it's, adherence is a bit broader than just taking pills because it includes such things as diet or uh, exercise or uh, sometimes taking certain kinds of food and everything. But, but adherence has a couple components to it, which is, first of all, getting the medication filled, then uh, taking the correct dose, um, then taking it on time, and then following directions because a lot of the medications say take with food, take two hours before, take two hours after, don't take with calcium, don't take with uh, milk or something like that. So adherence means all of those components, getting it filled, taking uh, the correct dosage, taking it on time, and then following the directions. But a second point that is not very often really uh, talked about when we talk about adherence is persistence. And persistence, I think, is a really uh, important component of it, and I think it's important for success in cancer. And that's staying on the med or the treatment as long as prescribed, which could be months, which could be weeks, or in some cases like tamoxifen, even years. And it was tamoxifen 
that really caught our attention that people weren't really continuing to take the meds because after a while women had side effects from the tamoxifen and then stopped taking them rather than talking to their physician about the side effects. But persistence is a part of adherence, and so it's not it's starting and taking, but also keep taking as long as you're supposed to. And it really, adherence requires a partnership between uh, the individual with cancer and the uh, healthcare system providers, generally physicians. The important role of adherence in cancer care, especially the oral agents, which are therapeutic, is that you really need to maintain a blood level because the results of uh, the outcome, meaning the control of the cancer, depends on a certain dosage. So in uh, conditions like hypertension and cardiovascular disease, we talk about an 80% uh, taking of the medications being important. In oral cancer agents, the literature really says we should have a 90%. It is important really to maintain that blood level at a certain level because the dosage is figured out for the whole time of what it is that you need for cancer control. When we do have IVs, we know because somebody else is measuring it and somebody else is taking care that you're getting the right dose. When you are taking pills, it is really critical for effective treatment that and the outcome of the treatment that you maintain adherence at the level, and as I said, they're saying at least 90%. And if you don't do that, then there's an issue that it may not have the control that you are really expecting. Some of the barriers, and there are many barriers, I think, taking to oral agents, and you have to remember that when you have the oral uh, cancer drugs, you are the one that's really responsible with their, your healthcare system providers in the control of the cancer. But we have lots of barriers to think about. One is really do you understand um, what it is that they have told you and how you are to take them. And with some of the oral agents you are on so many times a day for four weeks, then it may change after another six weeks, and then it may change. So it's really important to understand. And we have to figure out how we really integrate taking the medications, especially if it's more than one time a day, into your daily lives and your lifestyle. And a big thing for a barrier is cost and understanding the cost. Because I stand in our our uh, pharmacy uh, around here, and I often find people getting up to the window, and they say, well, that's $1,000. And the people are taken back and then don't really take the medication because they didn't know it was going to be $1,000, and they hadn't made the arrangements with insurance companies or anything to approve that. So the cost is a big issue. I think other issues relate to really the communication that you have with your healthcare system. Do you know who to call, when to call, and do you really have the access? Do the physicians and nurses and social workers really talk to you about the care that you have and that you understand how long you're going to be on the medications, do you know what you can expect, do you understand the side effects that really are going to happen. Other issues really uh, are if you have other conditions like hypertension or heart disease, how do you integrate the medications for cancer 
within the within your system so that you have a plan and that you know when to uh, take that that because some of the other drugs really may interact with the drugs that you are taking and they will tell you to wait two hours or take two hours before. And it's really important to understand when you have other conditions and comorbid conditions, how you schedule your medications and the logistics. And logistics are really an issue, and it really is important to start with the right logistics to get into a pattern and figure out where you want the medication setting so that you don't forget it and reminding of that. So getting a pattern and taking it is important. I think other issues and barriers is knowing and understanding really the side effects that you may have and the importance of knowing what to report. I also think adherence, telling the physician, in all of my years of um, my own taking medications, nobody has ever asked me if I take them on a regular basis. So I think it's important as an individual with cancer or a fam- supporting a family member that you actually report on your adherence, if, even if they don't ask, saying I took the medication or I had trouble taking it or I don't remind it, remember, and then they can come up with some tools or some suggestions uh, really to help you how to do that. I think um, it, you the reporting of the side effects and knowing how to manage them so that you can stay on the medication is really important. And I think uh, you need to understand the importance of them and be motivated to take them, the medications, but also really fully understanding how, what you can do about the side effects if they do occur so that you can uh, stay on the medications. That may be as simple as if something interferes with sleepiness or whatever, taking it at night rather than in the morning so that you don't really experience sleepiness. Uh, The last section I want to talk about a little bit is talking with your healthcare team. I've already talked about the importance of letting um, the doctors and nurses know that you are taking your medications or that you're having trouble taking them or asking questions if you have. As I said, sometimes they don't ask, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't tell. I think you should ask questions about what to do if you are late or if you forget so that you know and understand what to do. I think you need, as I said before, to tell them about the side effects. I let them know what is difficult about taking the med. There, maybe it's the side effects, but maybe it is even planning how you take the meds or when, or maybe it is even about getting the meds because if you have specialty pharmacy, sometimes they're mailed, and with a uh, mailing system, sometimes that's a problem. It is critical that you know who to call and when to call and know who the one person is who is coordinating your care and making sure. Now, sometimes people with cancer have specialties, but they go to the primary care provider. The primary care person is likely not to know or understand the regimen for uh, the cancer pill, so it's important to talk to someone in the cancer system and also have some idea of how to reach them and how to access them and get them to call back. Is there a single person in the office that you know is going to listen to you if you call? Or do you just have to call and leave messages and then you just have to wait for the chance? But really press that you know who to call and who will listen to you. 
I think uh, talking with a healthcare uh, provider early about any side effects, knowing when you would use the emergency room or urgent care, because again, they may not know the drugs, so there may be somebody on a hotline or on a call uh, in your cancer center that you could call uh, and find out whether you should go to the ER or urgent care. And then for me, um, really a very helpful way is to use the patient portal in the electronic healthcare um, record to communicate often and early with your physician. Uh, my providers do a really good job of getting back to me and the information. So those are some of the things and some of the ways really um, to communicate, to understand the barriers, and to understand the definition of adherence. So thank you very much for listening. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Giffen. That was really outstanding, and you really set the stage for the whole program today. So um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, and, and thank you. Just an um, excellent, uh, outstanding presentation, um, as always, of course. Um, and um, our next um, speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Dr. Palos is former Clinical Protocol Administration Manager, Office of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, author and researcher in healthcare disparities, caregiving, adherence, and survivorship. And Dr. Palos will be addressing practical tips to overcome these barriers, including family, partners, and others, computer, tablet, and phone reminders, including emails, texts, and apps, planning ahead, lead time and refilling prescriptions, weekends, travel, and holidays, and rem reminders from your pharmacy and pharmacist. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Thank you, Dr. Messner. It's a distinct honor and pleasure to be a part of this esteemed panel and to follow the comprehensive introduction given by Dr. Given. Today, the focus of treatment is shifting from a purely disease management approach to a more patient-centered approach. This means you as the patient and your caregivers are going to need to get better or greater attention to managing your treatment and medication schedules. You can also focus on building your patient empowerment so that you can find a balance between your health care needs and self-care. Now, all of us on this call understand the cancer journey is a dynamic experience, which begins with the diagnosis and continues even when um, transitioning to being a, a long-term survivor of cancer. Yet one fundamental element remains constant through this experience, and that is knowing how to manage your medications throughout your cancer journey. So I'm going to focus on three areas in the next few moments. First, we're going to talk uh, and elaborate a bit more on what Dr. Gibbons presented as the barriers um, to adherence and taking your pills. Second, I'm going to uh, make some suggestions on how to implement a proactive approach to managing your medication and your schedule. And I'm going to try to give some uh, information about new electronic technology, and I say try because it's always changing. And then finally, I'm going to show how the synergistic effect of these three um, strategies can help you enjoy your weekends, travel, and special celebrations or events. So one of the first things to do is ask yourself, why do you need or why would you want this type of approach? Is it to improve your outcomes? Is it to reduce unnecessary visits to the emergency room or to the hospital? Is it to reduce the negative effects that can result when the medication isn't taken properly? So I, I, I 
this is called like almost establishing a goal. And so once you have a goal, um, you know, that you have in mind, it helps you kind of guide. That's your guide um, and sets the path for how you're going to handle your, your schedule. So why is keeping a medication list uh, important? Dr. Gibbon gave a wonderful uh, information on that. But there's also it, it's a way to help you remember to take all your medicines. And it's also a way for you to know what's going into your body. And you can share a, a medication list with um, all of your uh, caregiver, uh, caregivers, your friends, and other individuals who wish to help um, you with maintaining uh, this type of, of list. So a medication list is also important. So set your goal of why you think you want to keep track of your medicines and then develop a medication list. And the medication list, you should have, again, the name of the medication, the reason for the use. Is it a tablet, capsule, patch, liquid, injection? Is the dosage 20 milligrams only or 20 milligrams per 5 milliliters? Or, and then how much do you take and when should you take it? Uh, special instructions that may go along. Do you take it with food? Do you take it with an empty stomach? Do you take it, take it with water? When are the stop dates and the start dates? So it's it's a lot of information to have. So now I'm going to focus a bit more on practical tips uh, for some of these barriers. I think the first practical tip and, and message that I would share with all of you is know your pharmacy team. Yeah, and it's going to be it's not always going to be one pharmacist because as mentioned before, you have a primary provider and they may be the one that's taking care of your hypertension, your diabetes, your arthritis. So you're going to need maybe a local pharmacy or one pharmacy that's going to handle all of those. And then there can be a pharmacy team working on all the medications that you need for uh, the treatment of your cancer. And those may just come from your the cancer center that you're being treated at or the oncologist's office um, may have a specialty pharmacy that they want to use. So the purpose of knowing your team is that that way you will be able to establish a relationship with them and then you can um, really have open communication. So what if you and your caregiver have trouble remembering the medications? Well, then, again, you can try the medication list, a pill organizer, uh, a medication dispenser, alarms, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. You can take uh, try taking your medications doing, uh, or doing a routine daily event, like uh, will you take your medication before you brush your teeth or after you brush your teeth? Or if it's at nighttime, do you do it before you really get ready for bed or once, you know, you're really in the bedroom and now you're ready to take your meds? So establish it or, or kind of link it to some type of routine activity that you have. Another challenge to encounter is having problems understanding the directions. Again, talking to the pharmacy, I used to be a little hesitant on that, and I have patients that say, I don't know, they're so busy all the time. Well, ask the pharmacist right away for directions. If you can't get the pharmacist, the pharmacy tech is really uh, a good person also to give you some of the information. And what they can do if they don't know the answer, then that's when you bring in the pharmacist if you're concerned about um, taking up time. If you still don't understand the questions, keep asking until you do. Do not be embarrassed and do not hold back about asking questions. It's all right. Uh, repetition is the best way of learning. Remember that one. 
and then rewrite the directions so they make sense to you. And sometimes the PO thing, you forget what the PO stands for. So just write out by mouth, you know, if you need to do it. So those are some simple ways that you might be able to uh, address the challenge of understanding the directions. So what if the challenge is related to cost as discussed by Dr. Given? You can ask for the medication, uh, for a medication review to identify less expensive medication. You can ask the pharmacist perhaps to schedule refills when you have more money. Consider using a pharmacy that provides $4 generic prescriptions. And then you can apply for Medicaid if that's necessary, or even apply for a pharmaceutical assistance program. And there are some clinics that give uh, free clinics that also have a pharmacy that may be able to help with that. If transportation is an issue for you, the way you might be able to deal with that is use a pharmacy delivery. I know many of the branches that we have, like the Walgreens and the CVS, and I have no uh, association with them, but they are now offering, many others are offering delivery to your home of your medications. Take advantage of that. Don't hold back. You can use mail order pharmacy, um, or you can ask a friend or a family member to pick up and deliver your medications. And what about having a hard time reading the instructions, um, you know, that happens sometimes. You can ask for the label to be printed or written larger. You can use a magnifying glass. You can purchase talking vials from your pharmacist. You know, so that would be some of the ways that you'd be able to uh, read the instructions a, a bit better. And what if there's a barrier associated with limited mobility, such as arthritis or the lack of strength in your hands? Um, you can also then ask for easy open caps, uh, bigger vials, again, use a pill organizer that has an easy way to access the medications. And remember that caregiver and friend, that's also another uh, source that you can get some help for this. Now I'd just like to uh, make a few uh, highlights or uh, tips to reinforce. Keep your persistence as advice by Dr. Given. Try to go to one pharmacy or the two of you need that we spoke earlier, but try to be consistent with the pharmacies that you use. Keep that up-to-date medication list and share it with the doctors, the pharmacists, and anyone that you know needs to know what medications you have. You be sure and report any symptoms that you may be experiencing after starting a new medication, or even if it, uh, one that you've been on for a while starts giving you some issues, talk to your doctor or your pharmacist. So it's important for you then, when you're doing all of this, for you to, to decide how do you want to maintain your schedule? What type of, of tool would you like to use? Uh, do you want to use the electronic means, such as the computer, the smartwatch with Alexa, or another voice prompt? Or do you want to use the medication apps, such as those that may be free? Uh, Mango Health has one that's used for Android phones. There's MedSafe, DoseCase. Uh, DoseCase is a free version. Um, and then there's My Therapy for non-English speaking patients. And they provide uh, information in over 30 languages. Dr. Fleischman is going to talk uh, more about the role of telehealth and how to prepare for such a visit. So electronic uh, means is a very, um, a strong way of you of getting um, the information or keeping track of your um, your schedule. There's also all kinds of bells and whistles. You can get an alert. 
You can set the ring so uh, it's nice and loud if you, you know, want to really hear it and um, you want it to stop with uh, whatever you're doing. So the alerts are always good to have. Or you can even use the traditional way, which means using a visual hard copy of your appointment, uh, that medication list is a hard copy. And again, try to keep the same strategy throughout your experience. If you pick something, stay with it because then it becomes a bit confusing if you have some on your uh, on your smartphone and some on the computer and some on the refrigerator. So try to gather all this information and have it readily available. And for the healthcare providers on this call, there are a few ways to support um, your patients to maintain their schedules. Remind the patients to bring their medications when you remind them of their appointments. Provide the patients a current medication list at the end of the visit. Explain the benefits of pharmacy pill packs or maybe even talk about the options that they have. Uh, talk to the patients about using the automated pill reminder app. Um, and then it's good if you can do this, distribute maybe and display a, a fact sheet in um, the offices or the clinics that you have that talk about the importance of, of keeping uh, the medication list and adhering to it. So the last thing that you might want to do is just share some practical tips, again, to follow your schedule. Keep a schedule when refills are due. This is important. It helps minimize the risk of uh, running out if you're traveling or on a holiday. Um, keep a list of all the medications that we mentioned with all those details that we talked about. Uh, remember to write down the names and contact of the physicians and your pharmacist. Um, then you can put the information like who's prescribing the medication, the pharmacy where the medications are obtained, and also include emergency information for each provider and pharmacy. If you're going to travel, maybe travel overseas, ask your physician to write a letter stating what you have been prescribed and, and have that list of the medications. And again, you can make copies of that. The other thing is I've had patients say they got separated from their meds during the trip. Keep a small carry-on bag with all your medications either stored in a prescription container or in the original bottles, depending on the length of the trip and the route of transportation. And my last but most important tip is to maintain regular and open communication between or among the prescribing provider, the pharmacy, the caregivers, and the patient. My colleagues and I look forward to hearing from you. And if you have any suggestions you wish to share, please do so during our Q&A. Thank you for allowing me to share these moments with you. This concludes my remarks. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation, as always, and um, just um, many tips for people. So thank you so much. And um, I think we will suggest that our participants do during the Q&A. Um, if you would like to make some recommendations that have worked for you, please don't hesitate to share it with everybody. That would be terrific as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, our next uh, speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. And Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing understanding cancer treatments and their scheduling, clinical trials on adherence, the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, follow-up care, quality of life concerns, and discussion of open notes. 
It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you for everyone who has signed into this call. It's a very important topic. It's a topic that we often don't pay so much attention to, and we should. Um, as uh, I would clarify one piece of information you got already, very good tip about traveling. If you're traveling out of a country, uh, when you have your provider write a note, uh, be sure to uh, include the generic name of many medications as brand names change from country to country, and it can be awfully confusing sometimes. The generic names will just make whatever reason you have to present this information for go faster uh, because the generic names are pretty standard uh, around the world. So uh, you've gotten lots of good information about how to, how to schedule uh, medications, uh, the whole issue of adherence. We use the term adherence now rather than compliance. It's a lot friendlier. And as well as um, the kinds of things that you can use as aids to help, whether it's paper or electronic. Uh, sometimes it's helpful to know exactly why medications are scheduled the way that they are. Many medications need to be taken exactly on time, most of them. Um, and the idea from that comes from um, during the, the, the process of drug development, uh, one of the things that's routinely tested, whether you're taking a medicine by mouth or you get an intramuscular injection, an injection into your arm or into your abdomen or your leg or intravenously, is how long that medication lasts in your system. Once medication is taken, it is digested by the body into various components. So part of drug development is to know how long that initial substance, the one that's actually in the pill or in the shot, lasts in your system and how long the digestive products last. And it is often that the digestive products have the most activity or give you the most help um, in any medication that you're prescribed. Um, that those products last a certain amount of time before they are digested again by the stomach, but mostly by the liver, into your uh, into other digestive products, which may or may not be as active or may be more active. And the schedule is based upon how long each of those different substances, the initial drug plus the follow-up, digested products last in your system. And that's why um, medications are, are generally recommended on the schedule that they are. Although there are some exceptions to this, and there are medicines that will last in your system a very, very, very long time, pay attention to the directions that you're given because that is designed for the way that the medication has the most good effect with the least side effect. So that schedule is not based on someone's convenience or um, a drug developer deciding what's, what's uh, just better to do. It's based upon the, the evidence, based upon the, the, the way that that drug is digested in your system. Um, we also really didn't speak much about radiation, and it's the same concept. Although radiation lasts in the body for a long period of time, those treatments are timed um, to, to give you the most benefit with the least side effect. There are 
Most medic, uh, radiation uh, treatments last a number of days um, and can go weeks at a time. Very few could be twice a day, but missing a whole bunch, usually more than three, is like not taking the medicine. <laughs> so um, uh, work with the, your radiation oncologist and the staff to make sure that you're able to actually get to the radiation center. Um, and get your doses on time as much as possible. Again, they know if there's how much there is time for early appointments, late appointments, perhaps a missed appointment, but in general, you stick with the schedule that you are given. Many patients say, well, I understand that, but then the radiation center calls me and tells me not to come in that day because the um, machine isn't working or I have to come later. That's all figured in to the schedules that you're given apart from unexpected emergencies. And then that can be retrofitted. That can be adjusted for later on. So it is the same concept, whether we're talking about oral medicines, injectable medicines, or even radiation therapy as far as how these schedules are made. If you are on a clinical trial, it's even more important to stick exactly with the medication. It's possible that you're on a clinical trial where blood levels will be taken of the original substance in the medication that you're taking or of the digestive products, and those often are measured at a certain number of hours after you take the medication or given the injection, so it's real important to stick with the um, the uh, the schedule you are given. It's uh, sort of an extra obligation to be on a clinical trial, no question, but it is also an extra benefit because you should be getting the optimal um, relief, uh, the optimal activity of that medicine if you're on the medicine for the um, for the period of time and, and in the frequency and the schedule that you're being given. So real important to stick to. We've all um, gone through a big adjustment in how we uh, advise patients, how patients see their providers, um, how they get their, their treatments uh, through the COVID-19 pandemic. And although telehealth existed before then, we are now at a point where telehealth has been integrated into some of our daily practices. It is expected that at least some telehealth will stay even after the pandemic um, is we're past all the crisis points. Uh, it's hard for us to know exactly what what the tele what telehealth will look like after that to um, patients and providers. There are a number of advantages. There are some disadvantages. Um, we we know that it's easier for people to get to see us. See, and I would put in air quotes or get to uh, interchange with us, whether it's over the phone or in a video. But it also means that the kinds of things that providers need to do in a physical exam can't actually uh, be much accomplished in a telehealth visit. There are a number of workarounds for that that uh, we, we use in as much as possible. Uh, telehealth could be over the regular telephone, over your mobile phone, uh, over your mobile phone with um, video capabilities. You can actually see as well as hear and reply, and your providers can see you. Telehealth can take many, many forms. Um, if you are going to uh, have a telehealth visit, a little bit different than what we're used to in person, but not that much. Uh, as you would have to prepare to go to the provider's office, you need to prepare for a telehealth visit. If it's your first telehealth visit, 
please be in contact with the provider's office a day or so before. They should be in contact with you as well. If you don't initiate it, um, the office should initiate it to just confirm the appointment. Make sure you know what time it is. If you're in a different time zone, to make sure that the um, time adjustment is made based upon uh, time zones. Um, try to find a quiet place in your house. Try to make sure that your device, whether it's your phone or a tablet or your computer, is fully charged. Uh, it's good to have it fully charged because they may be on for longer periods of time and you don't want to run out of battery uh, power in the middle of your visit. Find out who's going to call who. Are you going to call into the provider? Is the provider going to call you? And will it be on the phone? Will, will they be sending you a um, special address to put into an internet link to sign on? Uh, there are a number of variations here, and usually if it's the first time, it's a good idea to do a, a dry run with your provider's office just to make sure you know how to connect because if they are waiting for you or you're waiting for them, uh, obviously that's not the most efficient use of anybody's time, and it's frustrating for all of us to be on hold or in a waiting room. There is an electronic waiting room on most of the the telehealth systems called platforms, but it's best if everybody is on time and those those delays aren't because people can't connect with each other. As you would in, a, in a, an in-person visit, prepare your questions, have your family or friends um, help you um, with that. Sometimes the, there's an advantage to telehealth in that you're trusted family member or a good friend may be in another city or even another country now. And um, it would help when they're, uh, it helps them to be on, on the phone or the video uh, system with you from another place. They can help you uh, with the questions in advance. And in, in um, silver lining to a ter the terrible pandemic we are, still living through to some extent the people from other parts of the world can actually join you on your call, something that we never would have envisioned a number of years ago. Um, but prepare the questions. Sometimes your friend or relative can be ascribed somebody to take notes or somebody to prompt questions that um, you're not uh, thinking of and also to really listen to what the interchange is about. Um, sometimes telehealth uh, visits can be an initial visit followed by an in-person visit of some sort to get the components of the physical exam uh, completed. Sometimes telehealth appointments can be follow-up visits because the, the uh, um, important parts of the physical exam are done and these are catch-ups. How are you doing? What do we need to change? Um, and make interim adjustments to the original treatment plan. So it can be both an in an, an initial encounter, it could be part of an initial encounter, or it could be a um, follow-up. Um, in larger cancer centers where people come from far away, uh, there have been other reports of, of advantages of telehealth, including access to genetic counseling, risk assessment, access to many, many support services, whether they're physical therapy, social work, um, uh, pharmacy consultation. I really don't want to leave anybody out, but many of those things that happen purely in person or sometimes over the, just a regular telephone can now happen on telehealth. 
So um, make sure to find out if your uh, treatment center actually does some of those um, services on, online or via telehealth. So um, follow-up uh, can be quite effective for many, many services on, um, on telehealth. A number of cancer centers have done uh, some physical therapy work over the over telehealth and even nutritional consultations. Uh, again, something we haven't anticipated in the past. Before I end, uh, there's an important point about using these electronic systems. Along with the uh, telehealth connections, sometimes uh, the electronic systems allow us to see our lab reports, x-ray reports, sometimes even provider notes. Um, that's good and bad. It's good because you don't have to stand and wait for somebody to Xerox things when you need to take them to another provider who's not on the same system. It is um, hard uh, for many people who don't have a medical background or even for those people who have a medical background but their, their expertise is in another specialty to sometimes go through many of the abbreviations and many of the canned um, phrases that are used when we write electronic notes. It's not pure typing. A lot of the time the information is in the drop-down menu and we don't have uh, unlimited choices of what to put. If you read these things and you're not sure of the results, first don't panic. Please call your provider's office and ask that somebody go over them with you over the telephone or on the, on, through another video visit. It's really, really important. For example, um, if somebody is in the middle of chemotherapy and they look at their blood count and they see that their white blood cell count is down, don't panic. Call your provider. Maybe it's expected that your white count be down, um, and if it were high, that would be bad. So things need to, all of these um, results need to be understood in context. And many of us don't have that um, that expertise. Additionally, some of the um, some of the abbreviations are uh, in med speakers. We say uh, they're not used in regular everyday English. I just heard about uh, or read about something a few weeks ago where a patient was quite offended because they read their. Uh, notes and they thought someone called them an SOB, which is not a kind thing to say in English, and the provider meant shortness of breath. So please don't misunderstand. Um, go over it with some help so you can clarify exactly what should be and what shouldn't be. Uh, really, really important. Uh, so a lot of information that you've gotten from all of us. I will stop here and turn this back over to Dr. Messner. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful presentation and a lot of information and, um, and presented in a way that people will be able to absorb, we hope, and will have a chance to ask questions about during the Q&A. So thank you. Um, and um, I'm just going to say a few words briefly about Cancer Care Services, just so that you can access them um, should you wish to. Um, cancer Care is a national um, organization, and we provide free services mostly provided by oncology social workers. We have about 40 oncology social workers on staff. And so what are those services? Well, we do have an 800 number. It's a HOPE line. And at the end of today's program, you're going to be getting a, um, a survey monkey evaluation. Probably you'll get it tomorrow. And the survey evaluation um, will have 
both an evaluation that you can rate the program or discuss your thoughts about the, you can write what you think about the program, but it also will include anything that we've mentioned today that's a resource to you. So all of those numbers and websites that we've mentioned will be available to you as well. So just, um, so, um, so people call our hope line and um, often the oncology social worker answers the phone and people usually call with a specific question which then is answered, and then the social worker goes over all the services we offer. So what are those services? So first of all, we do offer support to people, a chance to talk. We have online support groups as well. We also offer um, practical financial and co-payment assistance, which is very important to people at this time. And we also have a case management unit, so that indeed if we don't have the resource that you need, um, our case management staff will virtually take you to places to get those needs met and stay with you until that need is met. For example, some of you may have issues around food insecurity, not having enough money for food, or also um, problems with um, uh, your home, paying for your home, your apartment, or your mortgage. And again, we can help with all of those very practical things that you have concerns with and help to get them resolved. And sometimes it's within your region, sometimes it's within your city, and sometimes it's a national program, and sometimes it's a combination of all of them. Um, in this instance, it's okay to apply to many places for assistance. That's very important. Um, uh, and then um, we also offer these programs, about 75 of them per year, some on specific types of cancers, and some like today's program more on just general topics. Um, they also are all archived on our website, um, and any one of you can listen to any program that you wish, any topic, you might go to our website and you'll be able to find um, different things that you might be interested in, either about your type of cancer or about an issue that you're struggling with. Um, um, and we also have a number of publications. And lastly, we do have um, a pet assistance program. We discovered that many of our patients um, and families have pets that they are very, um, they really rely on them tremendously, but they worry about them, particularly um, if someone is not feeling well, not able to take the dog for a walk, or not able to purchase food for the dog, or all those things. And so we do have a program that assists with that as well. So with that being said, um, you have a good thumbnail sketch of these services. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask Sadai to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Sadai? Yes, thank you, Dr. Messner. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And we have a question from one of our online participants for Dr. Given. Should I change my diet at all while taking medication? Okay, so the uh, answer to that question would be to look at uh, the instructions that come in the packet with the medication. And there's always a patient, I think it's called patient education on most of them, and that will tell you if there's certain foods you shouldn't eat, uh, sometimes it's grapefruit or whatever, or uh, whether you take fluids before or after, or whether you uh, take it before or after a meal or whatever. So the instructions really are uh, on the in sheet, but if you don't find them, if you don't see them, ask your pharmacist because they'll be able to tell you. 
Normally, you don't have to change diet except if the pills ask you to. So that would be my response to that. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, for Dr. Fleischman, what is a good resource for learning more about my specific medication treatment? Well, uh, the first thing is the uh, instruction information that comes with the medication. If it's oral medication, even the smaller local pharmacies uh, would print out these uh, same sorts of patient information sheets as uh, the larger chains do or many of them or the mail order pharmacies do. Um, so uh, that would be the first place. Second place would be your pharmacist. Uh, either the local pharmacist where you pick up those medications or if you're getting uh, cancer treatment at one of the larger accredited centers, there is often a pharmacist who is actually trained not just in filling prescriptions but meeting with patients. In some of the uh, larger cancer centers across the country, when it comes time to actually do a formal written consent to receive chemotherapy, whether on study or off the study, sometimes it's now the pharmacist who has special training in oncology drugs, uh, especially about the the interaction, the mixture between oncology drugs and non-oncology drugs that the other speakers spoke about, especially many of the supplements that you buy without prescriptions. So I, I would, I would uh, go to those sources. If your questions still aren't answered, your oncology nurse the, um, or the physician's assistant or your oncologist would may not know the answer they most likely will um, but they would send you to the right person to get a full explanation and this is a comment for dr. Given actually thank you so much dr. Fleischman that's wonderful um, um, and this particular person wrote um, just when I thought I knew all the information on managing medication this workshop provided many helpful recommendations do you want to comment on that because indeed um, sometimes people really do feel like they know you know all about the medications and then suddenly are exposed to information that they didn't expect and learn so much from it. Well, I think that's very common, and I think that's even common for people like me, who's a nurse, and when I get certain medications or I think I know about the medication or even I think I know the side effect of the medication, and then I read the material and find out that there was something that I learned. So I think it's common for everybody and important for everybody to read about the medications or the information, even if they think they know, because as I said, uh, there's new information coming out all the time. We learn more from the science. So I think it's important to uh, read up on what it is you're taking and uh, look at if there's something else you need to do. Thank you. Thanks. Um... So for Dr. Fleischman, how do I know if my medication is working correctly? Good question. Um, in, in the oncology world in particular, um, there are scans that are done or parts of the physical exam that may help tip off your provider as if things are, are working well. Um, in uh, let's say for other other uh, more common uh, medications, not necessarily oncology related. If you're taking medication for your blood pressure, and you get your blood pressure checked a number of times, not once, a number of times, or monitor yourself at home, 
you and your provider can discuss if you're on the right drug at the right dose, uh, the right number of times. If you're taking thyroid medication, blood tests are done periodically to measure if your uh, body is overstimulating your thyroid, understimulating your thyroid, and what to do about that. So with many medications, there is an endpoint. Sometimes it's a lab test, sometimes it's an x-ray, sometimes it's a physical exam uh, that we can use to guide you. The most important thing to do is ask if uh, that information isn't given to you automatically. Awesome, thank you. And for Dr. Given, um, what is the most effective and popular way of reminding oneself to take medication? Well, as we talked about here, uh, there's a lot of tools and apps and everything else. For me, it is putting the medication in a place that I associate with when I'm supposed to take it. So if it's a medication that I take at the end of the evening, now I don't have children anymore, so I don't have to worry about anybody getting into it. I put it in the last room I am before I go to bed. If it is a medication to take once a day or a beginning part of the day, I have it in the kitchen where breakfast and coffee is. So for me, it is always being where I am in my lifestyle. And if I like yesterday went to work, which I usually don't do anymore, I put my medicines that I needed at noon in a little plastic bag and set it out on my desk at work so that I knew to take it. So uh, to me it is figuring out where in the lifestyle, and I don't use apps, and I don't use my phone and whatever. I use my daily schedule to figure it out. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and very good recommendations for people. So each person is going to have to figure out what works best for them. Um, um, so a question uh, for Dr. Fleischman is, how can I reduce my medication cost? Oh, that's a really good question, too, and maybe um, – a good, good suggestion for a, a whole uh, Cancer Care Connect session. Um, start with your insurance if you have it. Uh, some, in, with some uh, prescription coverage, the amount that is reimbursed or the amount that's charged may be preferential to one uh, pharmacy chain over another. So you really need to know the all the details of your pharmacy benefits. If you do not have pharmacy benefits, there are a number of discount um, prescription services that are that have no cost to join where you can actually get a significant discount. I, I know one of them that's used in the Southern California area called GoodRx. I know there are others um, where you can actually look it up on a computer or don't have one in the library or on an app on your phone, and a discount number appears, show that when they're checking you out in the pharmacy, and you can get a significant discount. There are others, and I'm not partial to that one. I have no formal association with GoodRx, but I, in, in my part of the country, I know that they're used. If you are 65 or lower and not on Medicare, either as a retirement benefit or a disability benefit, and there's a very expensive medicine, often in oncology these days, the newest drugs are expensive. There are patient assistance programs 
and you can find that out at your infusion center or treatment center to see if you qualify for any of those programs. Those are the big ones that come to mind right away. And I'm just going to add to that that um, there are um, on your healthcare team, of course, your healthcare team consists of your physician and your oncology nurse, oncology social worker. Um, they also have patient navigators, financial um, assistance people. So they may also be able to make recommendations to you. Um, copay foundations exist particularly for cancer medications, and I think there are many copay foundations throughout the country. I mentioned that Cancer Care has one, but if you were to call any one of the copay foundations, and let's say they have funding for your particular medication, but let's say they don't, they'll refer you to the to other groups that have because they, they each know what each other offers um, at a particular time. So that's another another um, way of. Um, so there's a lot of um, effort made. Um, also, each pharmaceutical company has a patient assistance program as well, um, so that if you know who has produced your um, medication, um, that's another way of getting um, some assistance with the cost. So there are a lot of venues out there to assist with cost. So I want to really thank our speakers. This has been really a phenomenal program. I, I think you're right, Dr. Fleischman, we probably could do a program specifically on um, how to reduce the cost of, um, of medication. I think we should think about that very seriously. Um, I, I want to thank our participants, and I want to thank our speakers as well. This has been really, we've done this program before, but I have to say this program really, um, particularly the, the questions and our speakers' response to them has been phenomenal. Now, we could go on for another hour because, indeed, we have many more questions in queue. So I want to I address that issue right away. For those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question yet to ask, and for those of you who have a question you're going to want to ask, um, I want you to go back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best, and they would be able to um, assist you with the answers. So. You could see if you asked a question today, take that as a role play of your question and go back to your treating healthcare team. As you could see from our speakers today, there were all your questions were important questions. There is no non-important question. There is no any question that you need to have answered. Ask it over and over again until you get the answer that you that helps you to understand what you're what you're dealing with. Also, um, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel alone in coping with cancer, in coping with managing taking your pills on schedule or any issue around the cancer field. I want you to know that you're now part of a community of support and there are many organizations out there. Again, we'll be sending you um, information about how to access services from cancer care, um, but also um, how to access services as well from other organizations that might be of help to you as well. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day. <laughs>